As we come before our Lord, truly present, present in the most blessed sacrament of the altar, we are awed. We are awed at the mystery of the Lord's presence. How can one so powerful become so weak, so vulnerable here in our presence? The Almighty Lord of the universe remains with us in the sacred host, and for that we must be very grateful. But the word Eucharist means thanksgiving. So whenever we receive this great sacrament, or even whenever we come into his presence, we should give great thanks to him. Recalling those words from our second reading today, God is love. And Jesus, our Eucharistic Lord, is proof of that today, that God is love. Now the truth that God is love was something that was recognized by the saints, and they are the ones that lived this out each and every day. We often think that the saints weren't like us at all, but actually they were. They were ordinary people like us, but they were transformed. They were transformed by the love of God to live out extraordinary holiness. We remember them today because of their heroic sacrifices and for their carrying out of that twofold commandment to love God above all else and to love your neighbor as yourself. And the same result, holiness, Sainthood is not only possible in our lives, but God expects it from us. And fortunately, he's given us his grace to carry it out in our lives. Jesus said in the book of Revelation, Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. So today we'll consider two holy people who were martyrs for the Eucharist. They're not very well known in history, but their example lends us courage to live out that persevering holiness in our lives as we continue our earthly pilgrimage towards eternal life. Two men, one from the early church, one from the 20th century, one who died very young, the other much older, one who was a simple peasant, the other a learned bishop and later a cardinal, one from the West the other from the Far East. But despite their differences in language, in culture, and in time period, they were united by their love for the Eucharist. Jesus Christ truly present in the Eucharist, and they were willing to give everything for that love. First, we consider St. Tarsicius. Although very little is known about St. Tarsicius, the Roman martyrology tells us that he was a young man probably an acolyte of the early church who lived in the third century. Now, because of the persecution of the Christians, mass was offered in the catacombs underground, away from the public eye. Tarsicius took his Christian duties very seriously, and he had a great love for the Eucharist, risking life and limb in order to be present at mass. Now, after each mass, Holy Communion was taken to the sick, to the imprisoned, and anyone else who was unable to participate in the mysteries themselves. But as the persecutions increased, so did the dangers associated with this task. One day when the priest asked for a volunteer to take Holy Communion to the sick, Tarsicius, without hesitation, said, send me, because my youth will be the greatest shield for the Eucharist. The priest eventually agreed, and he reminded the young man, Tarsicius, Remember that a heavenly treasure has been entrusted to your hands. Will you guard the sacred mysteries faithfully and safely? 
Tarsicius responded very boldly when he said, I would rather die than let go of them. Shortly after he left the Christian gathering, a group of pagans stopped him in the street and invited him to join in their game. And when he refused, they became more inquisitive and soon noticed that he was protecting something in his hands over his heart. They tried to tear the sacred burden out of his hands. And then when they realized that he was a Christian, they began to kick him and to stone him to death. And he later died from these wounds. A short time later, a Christian found Tarsicius dead, clutching a small linen bag next to his heart. And a beautiful oral tradition is also recorded. It claims that the Blessed Sacrament was not found on St. Tarsicius' body, either in his hands or in his clothing. It says that the consecrated host, which the little martyr defended with his life, had become the flesh of his flesh, thereby forming, together with his body, an immaculate host offered to God. So in his final act, Tarsicius, like Christ, became a victim, became a victim for love. Tarsicius is the one, like Christ, who offered his life to show forth his love. And today, Tarsicius, St. Tarsicius, is a patron both of altar boys and also of first communicants. And so perhaps some of you who are here today fit these categories, or maybe you know someone who does. But in any event, we remember Tarsicius for his tremendous respect for the Eucharist, all the way till death. The second man lived in the 20th century, and his name is Cardinal Francis Xavier Nguyen Van Thuan. His cause for canonization has been opened, and his heroic virtues were officially recognized in a Vatican decree exactly one year ago. Cardinal Nguyen Van Thuan was born in 1928 in Vietnam, and he was known from a very young age for his noble Christian character. In April of 1975, he was appointed coadjutor Archbishop of Saigon only six days before the city fell to the North Vietnamese army. Because of his position of leadership and his staunch defense of the Catholic faith, he was imprisoned by the communist regime without even being tried or sentenced. He would spend 13 years in prison, nine of which were in solitary confinement, where he was tortured often. Now, amid the isolation and the darkness and the brutality of prison life, the archbishop could have given in to despair. Instead, he became a beacon of hope, a beacon of hope bringing joy and light to a place where otherwise it wouldn't be found. He catechized and he prayed with the fellow prisoners. In fact, he was so kind to his guards that they had to be rotated out lest they fall under the spell of his great charity. He wrote sincere messages of hope and love to his flock, which were smuggled out of the prison by a young boy. Though he wasn't physically present with his people, he remained united with them in prayer as their archbishop. And many of these messages were later compiled in a book called Road to Hope, Road of Hope, and in his own uh, testimony to hope, which he wrote after his release from prison. So in both titles, the word hope is central because he was a beacon of hope in prison. Now, throughout his imprisonment, the bishop remained faithful to Christ, and the root of his fidelity was his love for the Eucharist. He knew that his most important duty by far 
beyond administering his diocese or even being physically present to his people, his most important duty was to offer the holy sacrifice of the Mass. One of the rules by which he lived was, I will see in the Eucharist my only power. I will see in the Eucharist my only power. And another one, I will remain faithful to my mission in the church and for the church as a witness of Jesus Christ. And he certainly did that in prison, that he was a witness. The word, Greek word martyr means witness, that he was a witness to Christ and he remained faithful to Christ even in prison. But how could he fulfill his duty as a bishop and as a priest if he had no church, if he had no altar, no congregation, no tabernacle? How did he do this? Here he employed a little creative ingenuity. He asked for some wine as medicine for a stomach illness, and he saved some of his bread from his scanty meals. Then he turned his prison cell into the most beautiful cathedral by the light of Christ, truly present in the Eucharist. Each day, praying the prayers from memory, he would offer Mass as he poured three drops of wine and one drop of water into the palm of his hand. He would consecrate the precious blood in his own hand. And then after receiving the Eucharist himself, he would turn his shirt pocket into a tabernacle from which he would feed his fellow prisoners with the bread of life. Strengthened by Christ in the Eucharist, he was able to provide hope for himself and many others. Released from prison in 1988, Nguyen Van Thuan was exiled from his home country and he lived out the rest of his days in Rome as a shining example of someone who was transformed forever by his simple daily encounter with the Eucharistic Lord. He once wrote, Each time I celebrated Mass, I had the opportunity to extend my hands and to nail myself to the cross with Jesus, to drink with him the bitter chalice. Each day in reciting the words of consecration, I confirmed with all my heart and soul a new pact, an eternal pact between Jesus and me through his blood mixed with mine. Although Nguyen Van Thuan wasn't killed for his faith, he certainly lived the sufferings of a martyr. And through these dramatic life stories, we learn that these two men didn't die for an idea, they died for a person. But how were they able to endure such pain and suffering? They knew, they were confident that that person, Jesus Christ, had already died for them. And so it made perfect sense to them that they should give their all for Christ. Before Jesus laid down his life on the cross, he gave his followers the most important gift he could possibly give, the gift of himself. While they were at supper, Jesus took bread, he said the blessing, he broke the bread, and he gave it to his disciples. And then he said something very extraordinary. Holding the bread, he said, this is my body. He didn't say, this is a symbol of my body, this is like my body. No, this is my body. And we have to take Jesus at his word. These are the same four actions, taking bread, saying the blessing, breaking the bread, giving it to others, and the very same words, this is my body, this is my blood, that are represented, that are reenacted at every Mass by the priest, the priest who stands in the person of Christ. And then Jesus told them, do this in memory of me. So that gift has been handed on 
throughout the centuries, all the way down to our own day, to our own altar. And that gift, Jesus himself, is truly present with us on this very altar today. His abiding presence remains with us in every Catholic church, where he waits in the silence of the tabernacle, in the silence of the host, to receive our acts of love. The red candle, the red candle is a shining reminder of his presence, that the same body that Jesus gave to his disciples in the upper room was the same body broken and given for us on the cross. And it's the same body that he's given to us in the Eucharist. And that's why we call Jesus the King of Martyrs, because he laid down his life for love. As Jesus said in the Gospel today, no one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And Jesus always leads by example. The Eucharist is the source and the summit of our faith. Everything in the church's life flows from the Eucharist and is oriented to it. And as many of us learned when we were younger, you are what you eat. So you have to eat healthy foods if you want to be healthy. But the same thing goes for the Eucharist, that if we consume the body of Christ, we become the body of Christ. And this is precisely why we have to come to Mass every Sunday and Holy Day of Obligation, and more frequently if we can. Not because of God's benefit. He doesn't get any holier because of our worship, but because we need to be fed and nourished at the table of the Savior, to feed on the bread of life, to be nourished at the banquet of eternal salvation. Every time we come to Mass, we have a powerful encounter with the God of the universe. First, through his word, he's truly present in the scriptures, but then most dramatically in the Eucharist. Love requires union, and union demands presence. And it's amazing that the God of the universe has devised a way to enter inside of us through the Eucharist, which is, honestly, closer than any earthly friendship can achieve. It's almost unthinkable, maybe even scandalous, that our God becomes our food. But isn't that what happened when Jesus was first born? It's no coincidence that he was laid in a manger in Bethlehem, because a manger is a place where the animals eat, and Bethlehem means house of bread. So these two ideas are fused together in the Eucharist, where Christ becomes our food, our nourishment for eternal life. St. Tarsisius's life and death teach us the deep love and the great veneration we must have for the Eucharist. It's a precious good. It's a treasure of incomparable value. It's the bread of life. It's Jesus himself who becomes our nourishment and strength on our daily journey. And he is the one who opens the road to eternal life. But we don't carry Jesus outside of ourselves like our saint did. Rather, Jesus lives within us. And we can guard this presence in our hearts jealously, like St. Tarsisius, ready to commit ourselves and maybe even give our lives for the truth of the Eucharist. Although physical martyrdom might not be required of us, Jesus asks us for fidelity. He asks for fidelity in much smaller things, to sacrifice our time on Sundays and throughout the week, to be joyful examples of the love of Christ, to be joyful examples of people who have been claimed by Christ. Every time we approach this altar, we experience God's great loving gesture as he continues to give himself for each one of us, to be close to us, to help us, to give us strength to live a holy life. 
And so we must always approach the Eucharist with love, devotion, and fidelity, and to prepare ourselves inwardly, especially for Holy Mass. Jesus is truly present here. St. Tarsisius' love for Christ enabled him. It enabled him to give his life for the Lord. Would that our love for, the, for Jesus in the Eucharist were as pure and undivided. St. Tarsisius and Cardinal Nguyen Van Thuan, they suffered and were willing even to die because the Eucharist is the foretaste and the pledge of eternal glory. They had set their hearts on the heavenly banquet, the supper of the Lamb, and they were willing to settle for nothing less. So every time we gather around this altar of the Lord, we're uniting ourselves in the heavenly liturgy and anticipating eternal life. At every Mass, we can't see the countless angels and saints who adore the Lord without ceasing. And so we might easily fall into the trap of saying, well, Mass is boring, or I don't get anything out of Mass. Think of all the times that we've casually received the Eucharist, or those times when we've skipped Sunday Mass through our own fault. And then think of St. Tarsisius. Think of Cardinal Nguyen Van Thuan. The martyrs endured persecutions and even laid down their lives to protect and receive the Eucharist. But we live in a time and a place where we get to choose whether and at what time to attend Mass. People in other parts of the world and in other times of the Church haven't had that luxury. So it makes all the more sense for us to be generous with God with our time and making Sunday Mass and the Eucharist a priority. Our belief in the Eucharist goes so much deeper. Worship of Jesus in the Eucharist on Sundays overflows into adoration throughout the rest of Sunday and throughout the rest of the week. Every day, Jesus is waiting here in the tabernacle to receive our acts of love and devotion. And in adoration, we have the unique opportunity to spend time with the God who loves us. How often do we or others say, if only Jesus were here, if only he were walking around on the streets like he did 2,000 years ago, if only I could touch his body or, 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 or see his face, touch his wounded flesh like Thomas did. But we do see him. We do experience the resurrected Lord. We consume his resurrected flesh. He gives himself to us as food, which brings us eternal life. God has given himself to us, and that changes everything. And now he waits for us to go back to him by spending time with him in prayer each and every day and by receiving the Eucharist frequently. So we can make that commitment today to adore the Lord truly present in the Blessed Sacrament. Because I can guarantee that time spent with Jesus in the Eucharist will change your life, and he will reward you 100-fold. As I said, love and union require presence. Archbishop Fulton Sheen promoted the daily holy hour in the presence of Jesus because he took to heart those words of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, could you not watch for me, with me for one hour? So perhaps we could start by giving God one hour each week in Eucharistic adoration. God might not be asking that same sacrifice from us that he asked of St. Tarsisius or Cardinal Nguyen Van Thuan, but he is asking us to give something very costly. In our own day, what's the most important thing that we have? It's worth more than our car, than our home, than our money, 
worth more than any earthly possession, and that is our time. Our time is the one thing we can't get back. We're always counting it. We're counting forward or we're counting backwards. Time is a great gift, but we'll also be accountable to God for every moment of our time on Judgment Day. So when considering the primary thing that we should give to God on a daily basis, it should be what is most important to us, our time. We can waste time with God, desiring to spend time with him, not because of any benefit or feeling that it brings to us, but because God alone is infinitely to be loved. It's really, at the heart of it, a matter of justice, to give what is due to another. God has given us the great gift of time, and he asks for some of it back each day. In prayer, we seek to satisfy Jesus' cry from the cross, I thirst, I thirst, that Jesus thirsts for our love. He thirsts for our time. He thirsts so that we might thirst for him. But giving time to God doesn't just mean talking to him. Too often, people reduce prayer to vocal or memorized prayer alone. Or worse yet, they chatter on endlessly about what they want or what they need from God. In human terms, we might think of a person who does all the talking in a conversation. If a friendship is going to work, if a conversation is going to work, then there has to be talking and also listening. And we can't listen unless we're silent. So prayer at its root is really a conversation with God. Sometimes we speak to him, but other times we have to be silent in order to listen to him. And there's no problem too great for Jesus in the Eucharist but we have to bring our requests to him in all faith and in all humility. I once uh, heard that 15 minutes is equal to 1% of the day. So we ask ourselves, how are we spending our time? Can we be generous with God in giving him 1% of our day, 15 minutes? Maybe 2% of our day, 30 minutes. Whatever it is, it might be different for each person, but we have to be generous according to our state in life and according to the great generosity that he has given to us. A few weeks ago, the bulletin insert included that amazing story of the 323 religious vocations that came from the same town in Italy. The mothers of that town decided to unite weekly in Eucharistic adoration to pray for more religious vocations from among their own families. Wouldn't it be great if all of us would unite for an hour each week, maybe with our spouse or with our family or or perhaps even individually, to adore our Eucharistic Lord? He continually gives himself to us in the Eucharist. And we can certainly pray, pray for more religious vocations from among our own families, but also for fruitful and happy marriages, for peace in our hearts, peace in our homes, for the dignity and respect of every human person, and for a thousand and one other intentions. In Eucharistic adoration, we purposefully remain rooted in Christ. So can we commit to one hour each week of Eucharistic adoration. The martyrs teach us to say yes to the Lord, a yes without limits and without conditions. After his release, Cardinal Nguyen Van Thuan said that his prison experience wasn't a matter of heroism. It was a matter of fidelity to Christ, because Christ was already faithful to him all the way till death, and he received the crown of life. In that dark prison, the body and blood of Christ was the medicine that sustained the hope and life of Cardinal Nguyen Van Thuan. And God allowed him to survive those 13 years of imprisonment so that he could tell the tale of renewal, of hope and transformation 
through receiving the Eucharist. St. Ignatius of Antioch, another early church martyr, exclaimed, I hunger for the bread of God, the flesh of Jesus Christ. I long to drink of his blood, the gift of his unending love. As we heard at Mass today, God is love. So now we can spend these moments with our Lord, thanking him for his presence among us and asking for the gift of faith, that we might see him truly present with the eyes of faith. And then having recognized his real presence among us in the Eucharist, we can commit ourselves to faithful worship of him in frequent Eucharistic adoration.